The first reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Second reading is the book of Amos, chapters 2, verses 6 through 8. I will not relent in my anger. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. The final reading from John chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. We are beginning a new seven-week series of sermons this morning we're calling Negative Emotions, and the idea of the series is to look at these very common, very prevalent, undesirable feelings that we all experience on a regular basis. Look at them through the lens of Christianity and, and see, does any Christianity give us anything, any resources for helping to control these negative emotions rather than being controlled by them? So uh, I'll read you the list here. We'll put this up on the screen as well of uh, all the topics. This week, anger and frustration. Next week, worry and anxiety. The 29th, guilt and shame. And then into October, depression and despair. The 13th, regret and disappointment. October 20th, apathy and indifference. And then the 27th, hate and disgust. And there are uh, two groups of people here right now. There are those of you that feel like, okay, I, I really need this series. Um, and then there's those of you who feel like, well, you know, this is kind of silly. I mean, do we really need to spend seven weeks talking about emotions, kind of touchy-feely? Um, so to, to the first group, to those of you who know, okay, I need this, um, just hold tight for a second because I need to say something to your less intelligent um, <laughs> fellow congregants. Um, so, so to those of you who feel like this is, this is kind of silly. Do we really need seven weeks to talk about emotions? I mean, I, I'm just not a very emotional person. Um, what I would say to you is, is you're wrong. There's, there just aren't people who aren't emotional. The, the human beings aren't like that. There's just those that know they have emotions, that their emotions are very powerful, and those that don't. I was talking to a couple downtown this week and you know, telling them, about the series, and this first Sunday was going to be on anger, and the, the guy said, um, oh, I, that's funny, I don't really struggle with anger that much, and his wife is behind him shaking her head like this, 
Either, everybody, everybody struggles with this stuff. You either know it or you don't. And if you don't know it, that just means you have a low emotional IQ. You know, it just means you're, you're emotionally dense. You don't have emotional intelligence. And you need this series more than anybody. So for seven weeks, we're going to talk about emotions, how they control us, how they dominate us, and how Christianity gives us some perspectives to, to help with that. And like I said, this first week, we're talking about anger, anger and frustration, and I want to look at the topic under five headings. First, the reality of anger, then the essence of anger, then the absurdity of anger, then fourth, the point of anger, and fifth, the practice of anger. The reality, the essence, the absurdity, the point, and finally, the practice. So first, the reality of anger. And all I want to talk about in this first section this is pretty self-evident. It's just what we were just saying a second ago. Everybody struggles with this. Whether you realize you do or you don't, anger is a real prevalent problem for people, for human beings. Um, I don't know if you saw in the news this week, uh, but on Monday, a 22-year-old woman was charged with her husband's death um, they, in Montana. They had been married eight days and uh, on the honeymoon, they had just been fighting the entire time. It just got worse and worse. They were on a hike in Glacier National Park, and as their altitude was escalating, apparently so was the argument, because at the summit, she, she pushed him in the back off of a cliff to his death. People get angry. People get angry. Anger is a real thing. And you say, well, I've never, uh, I've never murdered anybody. I mean, that person's crazy. That's really bad. You know, I, I would never do something like that. And you know what Jesus would say to that. What Jesus would say to that is, yeah, you're right. You haven't ever done anything like that. But that's because you didn't have the convenience of having a cliff nearby. <laughs> so look at this passage from Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder if you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. That's what they said. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. His point is, okay, so you're so proud of yourself for having kept the sixth commandment. Big deal. But murder is just anger lived out. Anger, and the anger is there. The seed of murder is in your heart. So isn't the fact that you haven't just kind of an accident of circumstance? And if that's the case, then why? Tell me why it is, again, that we're supposed to give you moral credit for that accident of circumstance. Because the anger is there. The anger is there in your heart. And the anger is the ugly part. Let me read you what uh, one pastor I know wrote. This is up on the screen as well. He said, personally, I have a lot of experience with anger. I don't like what anger does to me. I don't like where my mind and my words oftentimes end up. The destination when I experience anger. I know for a fact that my misappropriated anger has hurt relationships. I know it's chased people from this church. I know I've wounded friendships. I know that I've scared my children. I know that I've said things to my wife out of anger that I regret. It's ugly. It's very ugly. And there's not a person in this room that can't relate to that. You know, some of you think that Um, We would all be shocked if we knew the things you have said and done to your spouse or your kids when you were angry. Um, And I, I for one, would not be shocked because that's just how human beings are. Brittany and I both grew up in very calm, structured, loving, nurturing homes. But I still remember my mom shattering a plate against the countertop or... Um, Brittany remembers her dad scratching the truck, backing out of the driveway, 
And being so angry, he went and got a hammer and started pounding in the hood of the truck. It's very logical. You know, you're, you're upset that you damaged the truck, and so you damage it further. Um, we all had anger in our homes growing up. Some of you had it a lot worse than that. I mean, we all have anger in our homes now. So I know that. It's not a secret. You know, you might think we don't know, but we know. I know. We all have anger in our homes. Anger is a real problem. It's, it's real. The reality of anger. That's the, the first section. Second, the essence of anger. Anger, part two, the, the essence of anger. And in the second section, what I want to do is try to define it. What is anger? What are we talking about when we say the word anger? What, what causes it? What is it at its root? So we can start by observing that anger is a burning, a burning sensation. It's hot. You know, when, when somebody gets angry a lot, they're a hothead. Um, one of the things I did this week is went through Scripture and looked at every occurrence of the word anger or angry in the Bible. And Scripture's favorite way of phrasing it is to not say so-and-so was angry, but to say so-and-so burned with anger. That's the more common phrasing the Scripture uses. Anger is, is a burning. It's a burning sensation, but a burning sensation in response to what? Um, so the, the definition that I want to suggest this morning, and it's, it's not perfect, but it's kind of useful, I think, for our purposes, is that anger is a burning in response to um, things going differently than we had hoped or planned. So I'll say that again. Anger is a burning in response to things going differently than we had hoped or planned. So that, that woman um, who pushed her husband off the cliff, I think it's safe to assume that her marriage was going differently than she had hoped and planned up to that point. Um, she, you know, they seized her phone and her text message the night before to a friend was, I'm having second thoughts about having been married. Well, I, I guess so. Um, you know, she had these expectations and those expectations were violated. And in response to that, there was this burning, this burning that rose up within her. So it's like disappointment when you're sad that something doesn't go as you hoped or planned, but it's, it's different than that. It's a burning. Instead of a sadness, it's a burning. Or to take a um, really embarrassing example from my life, that I've discovered that one of the times I'm most prone to getting angry is when I can't find something. So it's very small, but um, it doesn't seem small to me at the time. So if I'm, you know, if I'm cooking in the kitchen and I open the drawer and I'm going to want to pull out a knife, you know, I expect it to be there. And if it's not there, as soon as it's not there, there's a, there's just a small spark. There's a flicker. And then, so then I'll go to the second place I expect it to be, you know, the, the drying rack on the counter. And if it's not there, then the, the flame grows a little bit. And then I go and look in the dishwasher. And if usually, if it's not in the third place that I think it might be, by that point, I'm, I'm very close to, to burning. I'm very close to on fire. And I'm going around the kitchen, then at that point, you know, opening drawers where I know it's not, and slamming them, and, you know, opening cabinets and slamming them. And I start accusing in my mind, where did Brittany put it? Where, why, did, why, did, why is she so careless? Um, it's a burning in response to things going differently than I had hoped or planned. Because my hope and plan and expectation was open the drawer, retrieve the knife, stop, start chopping. You know, seamless, smooth, like a, like a TV chef. You know, no gap between what's in my mind and execution. Just execute smoothly. And then there's, the reality is very different than that. And it creates a burning within me. And this is innate. You don't have to teach this. Human beings do this 
naturally. And you know that if, if you've ever had a toddler. I mean, this is what those tantrums are all about, just this, this rage. This is anger at its purest form, just screaming and throwing themselves on the ground and flailing around and making themselves vomit. And um, maybe this is only my kids, I don't know, but... <laughs> Just this intense rage. And what is that about? It's about violated expectations, violated hopes and plans. I had hoped and planned that I was going to receive the pink cup, and you now are telling me that I'm going to receive the purple cup. And that's outrageous. That shocks me. That's not okay. I had hoped and planned that I was going to continue building this tower. You now have the gall to suggest to me that it's time to take a bath. And I, that makes me burn. That makes me burn because my hopes and plans are different. And you're violating them. It's a burning that rises up when our hopes and plans are violated. And whether it's the woman pushing her husband off the cliff or me looking for the knife or a toddler throwing a tantrum, it's all the, the same thing. That's the essence of anger. So moving on to, to section three of the sermon, the reality, the essence, now third, the absurdity of anger. What I want to talk about in this section is what is it that, that makes anger so absurd? Because it is. Um, you know, we, we all know, well, the reason we're laughing about some of these things is it's just ridiculous. You know, when I'm going around the kitchen slamming drawers because I can't find a knife, that's kind of silly. It's just kind of absurd. And when that woman pushes her husband off the cliff, I mean, it's terrible and it's tragic. Um, but beyond that, it's also just really bizarre. It's just weird. It's just like, it's so absurd that that would happen. What is it about anger that's so absurd? Where is the absurdity located? And to figure that out, what I want to do is look at the only anger that is never absurd, and that's the anger of God. So if you've been around here before, um, you know that at this church we don't shy away from talking about the fact that God is a God who gets angry. In fact, you know, I said I was looking at all the occurrences of the word anger, angry in in Scripture this week. By far, the majority of those are talking about the anger of God. God is a God who gets angry. And the definition we just adopted for anger a second ago um, works for God, too. Why does God get angry? God gets angry. Um, the anger of God is a burning that arises in response to his hopes and plans being violated, in, in response to things going differently than he had hoped or planned. Um, so, for example, um, Scripture gives us all kinds of examples of what sort of things I'm talking about. But look at this passage. It'll be up on the screen from Amos Chapter 2, Gary read it a second ago. I will not relent in my anger. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground to deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. So, in other words, God says, My hope and my plan was that my people would worship me and worship me alone. And when that doesn't happen, I burn. I burn with anger. My hope and my plan was that the strongest people in the community would take care of the weakest people in the community. And when that hope and plan is violated, when instead it's the opposite and the strong prey upon the weak, I burn. I burn with anger. My hope and my plan was that people would take these good gifts that I had given them, food and drink and sex and enjoy them within certain boundaries. And instead, when they 
turn to these things instead of me, when they abuse these things, gluttony and drunkenness and perversion, instead, when they do that, violating my hopes and plans, I burn. I burn with anger. So you say, well, why is it that if the anger of God is never absurd, if you're trying to say that the anger of God is never absurd, why is it that the anger of God is never absurd, but our anger is absurd? If God's angry for the same reason we are, you know, you're defining it the same way. You're saying God gets angry when his hopes and plans are violated. You're saying we get angry when our hopes and plans are violated. So why is it okay for God to get angry and not for us to get angry? And the answer to that is because we're not God. And what's so absurd about anger is it's a person acting like they're God when they're not. So when I'm, you know, looking around the kitchen and getting so angry, what's, what's happening there is I'm saying, essentially, I'm God of this kitchen. I'm God of this kitchen, and I expect everything to be the way that I want it to be. And if it's not, I want the whole house to feel my wrath. When that woman pushes her husband off the cliff, there's a lot of things that are wrong about that. But foundationally, the thing that's the most wrong about it is that she's playing God. Because she's saying, your very life offends me. The presence of you, your existence, makes me angry. And so I'm going to eliminate you. God has that right. God and only God has that right to do that. We don't. And that anger is playing God. When you yell at your kids, when you yell at your scream at your kids about something, the only way that's legitimate is if you assume, I'm God. I'm God in this house. And my wishes, my hopes and plans are absolute they take priority over everything, and when they're violated, I have the right to, to rage. When you're uh, city, in the city in traffic and subway and issues and you're late and you're getting angry, it's the, I'm God of the city. I'm God of this city. How dare all these idiots get in my way? And it's absurd because everybody else around you can see that you're not God. You know, you see this person pacing back and forth on the subway platform. They walk up, they look down again, they walk back, they're huffing and puffing. It's just ridiculous. They're making a complete fool of themselves because they're acting like the whole city revolves around them. Anger is predicated on the assumption that your hopes and plans must be carried out. And God's the only one that has the right to make that assumption. Because God's the only one that has hopes and plans that are perfect. God's the only one that has hopes and plans that are based always and exclusively on love, that always take into account everyone else's best self-interest. So he has the right. He has the right to be angry when his plans are violated, and we don't. That's the absurdity of anger. Section number four, the point of anger. The reality, the essence, the absurdity, now fourth, the point of anger. What I want to talk about in this section is, um, is there ever a time when human anger is legitimate, when it's not absurd? Because what we've seen is that anger isn't necessarily sinful or wrong or bad, per se. You know, otherwise God wouldn't be angry. We see that it's usually wrong and absurd in our lives, but is it possible for a human being to be angry and it to not be absurd, to, to be legitimate, to, for it to have a point? And the answer to that is yeah, and to see what that looks like, we have to look at the life of Jesus. So there's many times that Jesus gets angry in the Gospels, but the most famous time is this, uh, you heard the passage read earlier, when he, he clears the temple. So the, the background is, um, in his day, the, the religious custom was that people would bring these animal sacrifices to honor God at the temple in Jerusalem. They all had to come to the same physical location. And it was, you know, it was an encumbrance. It was difficult to travel long distances 
with the animals. So a market rose up, as will happen, um, to sell the sacrificial animals on site right there at the temple in the temple courtyard. Um, but, you know, the vendors aren't doing this as, you know, as a service to their fellow citizens. They're it's doing it at a, at, for a profit. So there's a substantial markup, which is fine in and of itself, except that these goods were not luxury goods. This, this, everybody had to buy this stuff. Everybody had to buy this stuff because this, the sacrifice was an obligation. And so it's not that big a deal for the rich to pay the markup, but it's a very big deal for the poor to pay the markup. They can't afford it, and now you're, you're profiting off of their being stuck in this jam. And so, uh, sorry for the long lead-in, but it's necessary to understand the context. Jesus comes one day into this situation, and he just flips out. He, he starts throwing over the tables. He's, you know, there's coins flying everywhere. He's overturning the cages. There's animals going every which way. And, oh, by the way, he has a whip with him. So he's, he's going through with this whip, driving the animals out and driving the people out, it says, too, driving the vendors out. And he, he was angry. He was clearly angry. It's very difficult to imagine him doing this being calm. He was very angry. Why? The text says, zeal for God's house consumed him. He said to the vendors, you've made God's house a den of thieves. He's angry not because his hopes and plans have been violated, but because God's hopes and plans have been violated. He's angry on God's behalf. We get angry when our own glory is diminished. Jesus got angry because God's glory was diminished. And that's the point. That's the point of human anger is to have this resource to draw upon so you can be angry alongside God on God's behalf for the destruction of evil, true evil, in the world. So uh, the, the Hebrew prophets are a great example of this. The, uh, the Hebrew prophets were these guys that went around basically their whole lives just yelling at people, telling them how bad they were. Um, and so you can understand they weren't very popular. And Jeremiah, one of them, says, I would love to not be a prophet... But the problem is, wait for it, I have a fire burning in my bones. They're so mad, they can't not do it. They're so mad on God's behalf, they can't shut up. They can't stop talking about all these abuses in the culture, all this sin, all this exploitation, all the lies. They can't shut up about it. Or more recently, the, uh, the abolitionists in this country are a good example. If you read anything about the abolitionists, we figure out really quickly is that they were crazy. They were, they were possessed. They were not these normal, upstanding citizens. They were these really angry people. And why? Why were they angry? Because one group of people is buying and selling another group of people. And so they're not going to sit down and stop talking about it. But the key is they're not angry because it violates their designs. They're angry because it violates God's designs. They're angry on God's behalf. They're angry because it's God's name that is being ruined. When God is a God of justice and goodness and this so-called Christian nation is doing this, God's the one that looks bad. And so they're angry. They're angry on God's behalf. That's the point. That's the point of human anger, to join with God against these things that are really bad, that God doesn't like, that mess up God's plans. And what you see there is a big difference between Christianity and um, the Eastern religions and like Greek Stoic philosophy. Because the Eastern religions and Greek philosophy, the idea is don't let anything get to you. Get to the point where you attain enlightenment and you just don't get angry anymore. 
That's one way of looking at it. The Christian approach is different. The Christian approach says anger is very legitimate in some circumstances. And it can be like this spiritual shot of adrenaline that helps you to do things that you otherwise wouldn't be able to do as long as it's, a pro- it's targeted at the right thing. That's the, the point of anger. So fifth and finally this morning, the last section of the message is the practice of anger. The reality, the essence, the absurdity, the point, and fifth and finally, the practice. And what I want to talk about in this section is, is how we can apply some of this. Because um, as we're talking about you know, the, the real point of anger, um, which is to join with God, it just makes the, the absurdity of our own anger all the more sad and all the more tragic. Because this thing that you're supposed to use as a weapon with God against things that are really bad, you instead use on your own behalf. And that is sin at its finest. I mean, that is classic sin. Taking something good from God and twisting it so it becomes really awful and absurd. And so, you know, you, you, when, when your day is ruined, when your plans are upset, you're furious. But then, when you see justice trampled on, when you see truth trampled on, when you see human dignity trampled on, when you see the name of God trampled on, you shrug because you're all out of gas. You've spent all your anger on yourself, on your own small little concerns. And so what I want to talk about in this last section is just... Um, Two steps we can take toward trying to slowly reverse that ratio, toward allocating anger toward the things that matter instead of the things that don't. Um, so it's a, it's a two, there's a two-pronged problem. We are too angry and we're not angry enough. We're too angry about the wrong things and we're not angry enough about the right things. And so it's a two-pronged solution. Um, and for each of these two steps, I have just this one simple um, some might accuse it of being simplistic, but we've got to start somewhere. This one simple prayer, four-word prayer, that I want us to start using, practicing. So first, for, uh, for reducing the selfish anger, for negating the selfish anger that dominates us. The four-word prayer that I want us to use here is, as the occasion and the opportunity arises, to, to say, um, I am not God. That's the, that's the phrase, I am not God. Um, so if you're, if you're with other people, you should say it silently, you know, unless you um, <laughs> want to get a no kidding in response. Um, or if you're by yourself, you know, feel free to say it aloud. I am not God. When you start to feel this, this anger arising on behalf of yourself, on behalf of your own glory, on behalf of the violation of your own hopes and plans, I am not God. And what I like about this phrase is it's... Um, it can take on different nuances in different situations, you know. So I am not God, and therefore um, I'm going to make mistakes, and I should expect that. I am not God, and therefore I don't have the right to expect that everybody else is going to bow before my wishes and my agenda. I am not God, and therefore I'm not always right. I am not God, and therefore my hopes and plans are not ultimate. Just when, you, when you're about to scream at your kids because they've done this thing wrong that they've done a hundred times before, before you address the situation, and you should, but before you do, take a deep breath, I am not God, and whatever else the, the situation is. You can diffuse it, can poke a hole in your pride a little bit. And then on the flip side of it, um, which is cultivating the right kind of anger, 
on behalf of these things that really do matter. And the four-word prayer that I want us to use in those situations is when you see something that's wrong, that's really wrong, to just say, um, breathe in and, and say, that makes God angry. That makes God angry. And you say, well, what does that do, just saying it? Well, the hope is, over time, it seeps into your soul, too. You know, as you acknowledge it, as you continue, if you get in the practice of seeing these things and saying, that makes God angry, just doing it habitually, over time, it seeps into your soul, too. And it makes you angry, too. And then, as we shift, you know, you have to do both. Because you have to conserve anger to use it for the stuff that really matters. So as you reduce anger in these selfish areas, I am not God... And as you try to intensify it in these godly areas, that makes God angry. The hope is we can become people that use anger in the right way instead of being used by it for all sorts of terrible things. So that's the, that's the message, the reality, the essence, the absurdity, the point, and the practice of anger. And as we close, I just want to say one last thing, which is um, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, um, the, the practical steps can only take you so far because ultimately this transformation and, and becoming people that use anger in the right way is going to have to happen by God's spirit. That's, that's the essential New Testament message, and I don't want to uh, convey anything different than that. So you can, these other steps can help a little bit, but this, this fundamental transformation has to happen at the soul level, and that has to happen by being reconciled with your Father in heaven. And I think one question that arises, you know, as we talk about this, this stuff this morning is, um, okay, so you say God's angry about sin. Well, I've done a lot of sinful things, so is he angry at me? It's a very fair question. And the answer to that is no. No, he's not angry with you. You say, well, why? You know, you're saying that just to be nice? I mean, if either he's angry at wrongdoing or he's not. And if I've done all this stuff wrong, then why shouldn't he be angry with me? And the reason he's not is because the anger that you deserved and that I deserved was absorbed by Jesus Christ on the cross. This is the basic, fundamental Christian message of forgiveness. So because of that, God's not mad at you anymore. And you can have this relationship with him that can be transformative in all these areas of your life. But, but the, the catch is you have to attach yourself to Christ by faith. And if you have not done that before, you can do that now as we pray. Bow your heads with me. Father, we're so embarrassed when we look at your holy and righteous and always legitimate, never absurd anger. We're so embarrassed when we compare ourselves and the, these little insignificant things that we get angry about. God, I pray that as we take this small step of practicing these, these prayers, you know, of, of pausing and acknowledging the truth of the situation, I ask that you would come and take that little effort on our behalf and let it become this this really major transformative thing in our lives, that you would take our small effort and use it to do the work in us that only you can do. If you are here this morning and you've never told God that you want to have a relationship with him, just follow along with me, these prayers, this prayer, these words in your mind. You can say, God, many days I don't know if I believe in you. Many days I feel like my life has plenty of meaning on its own and I don't need you. 
but some days I am very cognizant in an unmistakable way that I am far away from you and that I need to come home to you. And I want to do that this morning. I ask that you would take me. I ask that you would help me to understand the things I don't. I express my faith in Jesus who died for me and who brought me back to you. Please help me to follow you with my life. Amen.